Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, located in Beulahville, North Carolina. Our mission at Pathway Church is to turn struggles into stories of God's grace, redemption, and power. We do this by accepting the person of Christ, actualizing the character of Christ, and announcing the message of Christ. This morning, we get to talk about conflict in marriage. And of course, last night, you know how it is. You want to preach about something and you've got to deal with it. And uh, last night, we like to have conflict with me being exceedingly spiritual and wise. Super spiritual. I nipped it in the bud before it became an issue. At Barney Fife, some of you older people may get that. Nip it. And uh, we're over here, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going over to Sermon, and uh, we're talking about it, and all of a sudden, Brooks gets all upset. She starts raising her voice. It's like, well, you could just do it, and da da da, da. I mean, she's getting upset with me, and I'm like, she has no appreciation for all the work I've put into this. She does not understand how much I have done, and... I didn't let that bother me though. You I just, did. I just, so holy. I am <laughs> so holy. And then I, I just, on the Praise inside, God. I said, I'm going to take the high road. Yeah. Yeah. And she can get all puffy and upset if she wants to, but I will do what is good and right. <laughs> and what I'll do is I'll respond softly, which turn, the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. And she calm right down. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. But ain't that how we do when we fight? You know, we start to fight, and then all of a sudden we start thinking about how awesome we are and all the, all the good things we've done, and, and then we start thinking about all the negative things about our partner and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's what we want to get into uh, this morning. Now, if you are with us last time, we talked about you know, the purpose of marriage, and we answered that question you know, by saying, you know, the culture say, hey, marriage is about, you know, finding somebody that will make you happy. And while, you know, hopefully that is the case, ultimately the biblical idea of marriage is you find somebody you can give yourself to, uh, somebody you can offer yourself to, which is exactly what Christ did to the church. He offered himself to the church Everything he was, every, the, you know, every breath he took, the life he lived, the death he died, he did on behalf of the church. And, and for you and I, that is the same thing. We are to offer ourselves to another individual. Uh, in addition to that, we said that marriage is probably the, the place where humanity can, can flourish. It's the most fruitful and flourishing place for humanity. You, you look at all the stats. You look at everything as far as success, the measure of happiness and stability and all that kind of stuff. And, and nine times out of ten, you're going to see that people who grow up in a, a, a home that has a relatively happy and stable marriage are going to do much better in life, be much more emotionally adjusted and all that kind of stuff. And so it's very important we try to get this right because this is where Satan would seek to not only attack uh, his, his people, but God's purposes in the world as well. Because one of the reasons we do get married, whether or not we realize it or not, is so that we can accurately reflect God's love towards humanity. Uh, We are a representation of the love of God and how God loves us and how God has gone after us and pursued us and sacrificed on our behalf. And marriage is intended to be a reflection of that. And too often what happens in churches is our marriages aren't a reflection of the love of God. It rather is a poor reflection of the love of God. So we want to work on that uh, for that reason, uh, if no other reason. So, um, what we're going to get into uh, this morning is we're going to talk about conflict. I don't know why I'm in the book of Daniel, but um, we're in the book of Solomon, Song of Solomon. So if you can go to, uh, if you want to turn there to chapter 5, uh, Brooks is going to read a passage of scripture, and then we're going to get into it a little bit, and uh, we'll, we'll see, see where this goes. Um, she's a little nervous, I'm a little bit nervous, and so we'll, we'll go through this. All right, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. When I heard my lover knocking and calling, open to me, my treasure, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with dampness of the night. But I responded, I've taken off my robe. Should I get dressed again? 
I have washed my feet. Should I get them soiled? My lover tried to unlatch the door, and my heart thrilled within me. I jumped up to open the door for my love, and my hands dripped with perfume. My fingers dripped with lovely myrrh as I pulled back the bolt. I opened to my lover, but he was gone. My heart sank. I searched for him, but could not find him anywhere. I called to him, but there was no reply. All right. Father, we pray that you bless the reading and the teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Praise God. I know that was very... um. Yeah. Yeah. All right. uh, Scripture there. Yeah. So I've done, you know, if you do any kind of research and you look at what the scholars have to say about what's going on here, obviously the Song of Solomon is very poetic. uh, And this is not even some of the more interesting passages. We'll just call them interesting passages. Uh, This is a, this is actually a passage here. um, And and this is, like I say, from the study of what most scholars kind of interpret about this passage. But they, basically what this is, a, a passage that is a, a show of what conflict looks like in marriage. And both, both people respond rightly and, and wrongly in this, in this area, and we'll talk about that. But basically what has happened in this passage is that he has been out. And I don't know if he was working, out with friends, I have no idea. But he's been out, and it's late Hence, why she has already gotten ready for bed, taken a bath, laid in the bed. And it says, and the, and the way, it, way it reads is she's kind of half asleep, half in and out. How many of you ever, you know, you've been like that? Then all of a sudden, you know, husband or wife lays in the bed and they kind of startle you and wake you up. And, and that's where she is. She's in that, that place where she's kind of about to fall asleep, half asleep. And then here he comes knocking on the door. Now, he's late. He should have been home earlier. He wasn't. Uh, some scholars suggest the reason the way it's talking about his hair was wet with dew is because he's you know been out in the field. He's sweating. He worked too late and didn't get home on time. She's upset about it, so she's just going on to bed, and then she's half asleep. And here he is waking her up, and and the idea here is he's he's trying to proposition her. He's like, I've been at work all day. I'd love to snuggle up next to my wife. You know, maybe one thing will lead to another. This is his expectation. This is his hope. It is the hope of every man, right? Yes. However, how does, she, how does she react? She says, I'm not getting up. She, she, she kind of turns over. I've already taken a bath. I'm half asleep, and I've, I'm not getting my feet dirty again. Just, you know, you can stay there. He kind of lays his hand on the latch of the door just to kind of let her know, hey, I'm, I'm still here. But then he walks off. Now, does he, I, I, you know, is he angry on the inside, probably disappointed, frustrated? Yes. And then she realizes what's happened, and she gets up, goes to open the door, and he's not there. Now, I'm sure this has happened to one degree or another in everybody's marriage when they have a fight or an argument. And there's all kinds of things that's going on in our heads when that takes place, right? And so what we want to look at is we want to look at these arguments, these fights, these, I guess, intense conversations we tend to have in our marriage. And one of the things we want to do is we want to jump right into what I'm going to call three realities of conflict in marriage. Three realities of conflict. And I'll let Brooke start. The first one is um, your spouse is not your enemy. And we have said this over and over again. And um, the person we care about the most is usually the person that can hurt us the most. Amen. And, um, you know, in Genesis 2.18, when I was reading it this morning, it said, God said it is not good for man to live alone. So he made a helpmate. He did not make an enemy, but he made the perfect fit. He made, you know, Eve for Adam a companion, somebody that would work alongside of them, that they could do life together. He did not create an enemy. And that is one thing that, that we have in, in society. We look at our companion as our enemy, the perfect fit for us as our enemy. And God said, no, 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 I've made a helpmate for you to come alongside of you. And it's very easy for us when our feelings are hurt or our expectations are not met um, that we immediately, you know, we'll make a list of stuff. I've done the laundry, I've taken care of the kids, and we just keep listing, keep listing, and keep listing, and basically saying, he hasn't done anything. And I'm sure this is what she was doing. 
You know, she's done things around the house. I'm sure that um, she's soaked and ready and all perfumed up for her man. And he didn't think, you know, it wasn't an urgent time to come. He just drag in whenever. You know, and how many of us do that? And if we're not careful, when we make these lists, when we um, start playing these things in our mind, all of a sudden we're saying, oh my gosh, he's our enemy. And God's saying, no, your wife, your husband is not your enemy. You were created to glorify me together. And it's very easy for us to fall into that, saying that, yeah, you're my enemy when you're not. And that is not the case. And that leads to reality number two. We do have a common enemy. And that common enemy is Satan. The Bible says he has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And it's no different than your marriage. He wants to divide you. He wants to destroy you, and too often we make it too easy for him. We make it way too easy for him. We open the door for him to kind of come right in. And, and, and here's, here's what we do. We give him access to our minds. We give him access to our hearts. We give him access to our homes by making assumptions about our partner that may or may not be true and then treating them differently based upon those assumptions. So we make assumptions about their motives, about why they said what they said, why they did what they did, and then we'll treat them differently based upon those assumptions. And then we wonder why, you know, they get upset. Or, you know, you can't, and I heard this this morning while I was listening to some stuff, it's like you can't, you have to defeat one spirit with the opposite spirit. So when we get into a fight or an argument, usually we like to think the one who yells the loudest wins or the one who gets the last word in wins. But again, you're trying to fight fire with fire. And the, re- the reality is what we have to do is recognize our enemy is not her. Her enemy is not me. But I have to respond in a way that counteracts what I feel like the enemy is trying to do in our marriage, not what she is trying to do in our marriage. Because sometimes, because we're sinners, and because... You know, we make mistakes, and because sometimes we say things a little bit off-key and different things like that, sometimes we come across in ways we don't intend. And sometimes we maybe say things we probably shouldn't say. And in the heat of the moment, we say things that, you know, kind of maybe, you know, we want to hurt somebody right then because we're hurt. But then later back, we go back, and we're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And, And all of that takes place at the behest of our common enemy, Satan. And we've opened the door by allowing him into our minds and our hearts and our homes. Another one is um, pride. Um, This is the devil's primary tool is pride to come in. And so you justify saying, I'm owed an apology or I deserve this because of what he's put me through. And that is is not good, y'all. Amen. And when pride takes place, obviously it bleeds into and it becomes bitterness. Bitterness is a root that can take place be all because of pride. And you start listing these things just like I was saying and basically saying because of everything that I've, I've done, um, you know, for you, then I've, I'm puffed up, I'm bigger, I'm the better one in the situation. And um, it minimizes your mistakes. When I start doing that, it minimizes my mistakes and faults and stands in judgment until payment is made. Until Sam pays or, t- or until um, I get even with him. Do you see what I'm saying? Do we not do that? That's pride. That is evil. That is from the enemy. When we stand in a place, it's like until he suffers, until I see that he is really to the place that where he, I don't know, to you apologize or even, you know, either way, yeah. there's a sense of pride that takes place within each and every one of us. And that is what the enemy yeah. uses and comes and attacks our marriages. And I, th- I think what pride does is he, he kind of acts like a little internal defense lawyer. And he comes in and he says, you know what, you're really, you're really owed an apology. Or she ought not to have said that, you know. Or, or maybe he says, you know, anybody else would appreciate you. They would appreciate yeah. the things you do, right? They would appreciate what you, how hard you try. Anybody else would. See, that, that's the voice of the enemy, that little defense lawyer that comes in and says, hey, anybody else would appreciate you. Oh, if, if she only knew how good she had it or he only knew how good he had it, right? Have y'all ever heard that voice? Maybe it's just me. 
You've heard that voice. Or maybe, maybe they say, you, uh, they owe you. They owe you an apology. You, they know they shouldn't have said that, and they owe you an apology. And so you must defend, or maybe they say, you have to defend your point. You have to defend yourself. You can't just let them run over you. That is the voice of the enemy. And I'm telling you, it will destroy your marriage, and it is pride. And that is the original sin which caused Satan to fall. And, and it causes separation and space in the marriage. And this is one of the things that you kind of see initially in this interaction we see with Solomon and his wife. What is it that kept her in bed? Pride. I'm not getting up. He was late. Right? What was it that made him storm off? Pride. She won't get out of bed. I'll go find some satisfaction somewhere else, right? Pride is a killer when it comes to that. And, and one of the things it does is it, is, is it allows uh, this opportunity for, for Satan, that little defense lawyer, to kind of come in and paint this virtuous picture of you, of how awesome you are and all the things you did. And it's listed, all the great things you did, just like I talked about in my, my illustration. You know, She didn't appreciate how hard I'd worked on this sermon. She didn't appreciate some of the other things I had done earlier in the day. She don't appreciate you know, that I help around the house. She don't appreciate these kind you know. And he starts listing all the things you do and how awesome you are while highlighting every one of your spouse's minor weaknesses, failures, and faults. And so all of a sudden, you feel superior, and you stand in judgment. And that's what pride will do to you, and it'll destroy your marriage. Destroy your marriage. And so how do we handle conflict? Knowing, A, that my spouse is not me and me. B, we do have a common enemy, and his tool is pride. How then do we, as Christian couples, how do we handle conflict? The first thing here is we respond, we don't react. We respond, we don't react. Now, here, here, some people, you know, if we talk about spiritual warfare, we talk about spiritual warfare in marriage, all right, there are a lot of people that want to break out the anointing oil, a lot of people that want to rebuke the enemy, and, the, and I'm not disregarding those things. I think those things can be powerful tools in spiritual warfare. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But when you treat your spouse with disrespect and a lack of concern, they ain't no, no amount no oil. of anointing oil or prayer going to help you. That's the One truth. of the ways that you can fight spiritual warfare in your home is to learn to treat your spouse with concern and respect and talk to them in a way where it's obvious you care about them and talk to them in a way where you're not talking down to them or you're not demeaning them or insulting them. How many times have we gone into arguments and all of a sudden it's turned into an insult, kind of an insult fest, and we start talking to them, well, it, you're this and you're that. And, and, I, and, if, it, and if you were like, it, it, you know, I heard one couple talk about when we were listening to some of this in prep, he, said, he looked at his wife one time and said, if you work for me, I'd fire you. And all, you understand, you see these kinds of things come out, right? But th th I'm telling you, this is the opportunity that Satan is looking for. And he is the great accuser, and he will do everything he can to help you paint a picture of how awesome you are and how flawed your spouse is. And I think it will even make you think, I married the wrong person. Yeah. Instead of really working through it and talking about it and walk away, chill out a little bit, then come back. Yeah. And, and humble yourself, you know, before each other, which is, it is hard. But it is. It if is. If not, your marriage will and, um, you know, Talk about, like, reaction what, what do you, versus response. What is it? You know, we talked about earlier, you were talking about what a reaction was. Um, well, with a reaction, just like the Song of Solomon, just like we um, saw, you know, her reaction was, I ain't getting up out of bed for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, but the way he responded in, in the correct way is he still put his hand on the latch. He still said, you know what? I'm here. I still love you. I know you don't want to love me right now, but I'm still here. But then he turned around and he, he reacted by not just leaving, but going where she couldn't even find him. Yeah. 
So that was a reaction. That's the same thing it's as like I'll as, show her. Yeah, yeah. and I'm sure I'll with make her. her miss me. And yeah. while she was laying in the bed, you know, thinking, uh, uh-uh, I'm not getting up. It's the thing. Same thing as we do. Is like, well, let him go lay on the couch. See how how and, warm and he feels. Let me throw a blanket out there to him. <laughs> right. But I mean, really, those are the things that how we react. Yeah. And and the um, thing about reactions versus response is reactions are often emotional. Absolutely. They, we, we, they're they're emotional. Destructive. Uh, they're destructive. They're defensive. They're they're misguided. They're an attempts to justify myself. You know, I feel this way, and you need to know I feel this way. You know, and 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 the thing about emotions is they're temporary. And if we react based just solely on emotions and not love and concern for another person, again, we're going to destroy our marriage. We're going to destroy that other person you know, mentally and spiritually and emotionally. And so we need to make sure we're, re- we're responding, not reacting. Here, let me, let me, in any other place, we would want people to respond. But we don't do this in our marriage. But let, let me use an example. Let, let's say you've got a, and some of you have experienced this. You, know, you get an MRI, and, and, the, and the, you know, the doctor's got the MRI, and he comes into the office. And he's just reading it for the first time, drops it on the floor, says, oh, my gosh, you're going to die. We would not expect or want a doctor to do that, would we? Even though there may be truth in that. And, you know, some of us say, well, I'm just telling the truth, right? That's just how I feel, right? Even though there may be some truth in that, we would want the doctor to take care in conveying that information. That's responding rightly. But we won't do that with the people we love most, will we? We'll just come in and just unleash on them, and it's an attack. And they see it as an attack. And sometimes one person doesn't see it as an attack, it's just me venting. But I'm telling you, people sometimes venting in a way where they're not taking in consideration the thoughts, the emotions, the feelings of their partner, it's destructive. And you're reacting. Take a minute. Just take a minute, and rather than react, respond. And look at, how do you think the, you know, we talked about this uh, earlier this morning, I think, and I think last night a little bit. How he responded rightly initially, and then it was like they, they're, it was like they flip-flopped. You know, he responded rightly. He's like, I'm still here. You know, just put his hand on the latch. Let her know I'm still here. I still love you. And then it's like he gets all angry and puffs off, and I, and I don't know where he goes or whatever. But he doesn't unleash on her. He doesn't, you know, insult her. He does, Those would have been reactions. What he did was responded. But then he reacts and he want, runs off and is like, well, she ain't going to find me. You know, she don't want me and she can't have me. You know, that kind of thing. But what is it she did? She responded in a way that I, I don't know if it was conviction. I don't know what it was, but she got up out of the bed and went after him. And she felt, obviously, that he sent, he felt rejected. And she flip-flopped and, and went and changed from being um reactionary to she responded to his rejection and went after him and um I think we have to do that we have to respond to each other and meet them and understand if they feel rejected if they feel like they're not heard or you know even if they're emotional or whatever we have to respond in a loving way you know I was telling Sam so many people today you you know they wear the shirts about be kind they have bumper stickers be kind but we can't be kind to our spouse it's like we try to do it to everybody else to get some point across, but we are not kind to one another. And when we respond, we need to do it in kindness and love, you know, gentleness, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things, long-suffering, all those things is what love is. And we have to do this in love, respond in love. Um, and, and, and while all of this is going on, understand you have little eyes looking at you as well. And I brought this up last week, you know, Brantley quickly respond, responded to her daddy, you know, very passionately because she's seen her mama respond to her daddy very passionately, you know, to get our point across or whatever. So understand that in all of this, the kids see how we respond. Are we reacting or are we responding to our spouse, to our husband or to our wife? Because they pick up on that and they will do that as right. well. And the, and the thing is, like, how many of us have, Maybe you're on the other side of this, you know, and I don't know which side you're on, but if you're, let's say, you know, Solomon's wife laying in the bed, how many would allow pride to keep you there? Say, 
let him walk off. He could sleep on the couch tonight for all I care, right? Knowing he's upset or knowing she's upset, we let pride keep us from responding to our spouse. We look at our spouse and we know something's wrong, but because of pride, I refuse to give them what I think they want. She doesn't do that. She comes to her senses and she realizes something's wrong and she goes after him. She responds to his need. I'm telling you, when you know something's wrong, she's not talking as talkative as she nor- normally is. He is kind of distant emotionally. Something's going, you know, going on or, you know, he, he, he seems to always be finding something else to do. You know something's wrong, something ain't right. You need to seek to respond. Don't let pride say, well, if something's wrong, he can come to me. Or if something's wrong, she can come to me and, you know. And I think sometimes we push it off, well, that's just their personality. Yeah. And it's like, no, you need to talk about it. Right. Sit down, talk about it, and just don't, you know, let it just be. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Number two. <laughs> Another one is go to God. Um, I think many of us, and, and I've, I've told many women this, you can't be um, your husband's Holy Spirit. And now I've tried. It didn't work because you end up manipulating them, trying to get your point across. You end up which, which what it does is it makes you do something you don't really want to do initially, and then you start resenting what you are doing. Then you start to be full of pride because you're like, I'm doing all of this to make her happy, and it doesn't seem to be working, even though you're doing it with the wrong attitude. You see how this cycle just continues to spiral downward, you know? So. And we have to go to God. I mean. He's the only one that can change the heart of your spouse. God can do it by the Holy Spirit, not us, not what we say, not what we do, not by shutting the shop down, you know, throwing you out on the couch, if y'all know what I mean. That is not going to change your husband's heart. It is only by God. And so we have to be women and men of prayer that's saying, okay, this is it. I'm taking it to you, God. I'm, these are the things that I'm struggling with. This is what he's done. This is what she's done. I know that, you know, you can change things around and he can do it. And it may take months. It may take years. But we have to realize that we have a God that hears our cries. He sees that we are we are trying to make our marriage better. He, he understands. He He feels, he knows, he is a loving father. So if we go to him, he will handle it. He will. And, you know, I I think about Proverbs 31 woman. You know, she's the one that in the wee hour, she's up praying. She's getting the spiritual food, which means she's the one that's taking it to God. And we have to take these things to God and sometimes have to walk away. Sam may go on a walk. Him and God may talk it out before he comes back and, and responds in the way that is correct. And we have to do that, be a people that go to God with um, our conflict. That's right. And I think what that kind of highlights is the fact that we're going in the other extreme. Like, while some people, they're breaking out the anointing oil and, you know, rebuking the enemy but still talking their spouse in a diminutive way. Other people are going the other way and trying to use the world's methods of trying to change their spouse by either trying to manipulate them, by withholding something from them, or trying, you know, nagging, or just ignoring them, trying to play mind games. Well, I won't talk to them until she talks to me, and all that kind of stuff. And, and they go through all of that whole thing. Or maybe it's like, well, I'll find something else to do. You know, I got, you know, I could go, you know, I could go golfing, I could go fishing, I could play video games, whatever. I don't have to have her, you know. And you start playing all these mind games trying to manipulate one another, trying to change the other person rather than changing the only thing you can change through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is you. And you got to go to God, not just to pray for your spouse, but to look at maybe what you got going on in here and you changing and you doing some adjusting here. Um, and, 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 and it's very easy for us to start to pray. And this is one of the things I have found in prayer is one of the things I find is that I'll go to prayer praying about something, you know, Brooks needs to do this. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, hey, you, you may be the one that needs to change. You're the one that's in the wrong here. Or maybe she was in the wrong, but how you responded was wrong, and you better own your part whether or not she owns her part. Y'all know what I'm talking about? These, this is why we have to take it to the Lord. And unless you do that, 
Again, you're opening the door for the enemy to come in, play the little defense lawyer, and then you start feeling sorry for yourself, and you start being filled with pride because of all the things you do and all the things they don't do, and, and, and it just goes in this horrible, horrible, destructive circle. Finally, we have to talk, right? I have to talk to my wife. And we talked about some of this last week. We talked about communication. But here, I came up with this last night. I'm so proud of myself, right? And he kept telling me. This yeah. is one of them things he just kept on, on and on and on. I'm like, you well, hush. congratulations. I'm glad you heard from the Lord. And I'm I struggling I, over here. Okay. Yeah. But you talk with care, all right, care. All right, and this, this is what they call an acronym, so it should be easy for you to remember. All right, care. First of all, when we talk about care, you clearly communicate your feelings. Now, try not to do that in the heat of the moment because what will end up happening is it will blow everything up. But at some point, when everybody's had a chance to cool down, you come back, whether it's later that day, maybe even the next day. And I know the Bible says don't go to, you know, don't, you know, don't go to bed you know, while you're still angry and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but you can still forgive before you go to bed. You can let it go, you know, put it aside. But later on, you come back and you say, hey, Brooks, that really hurt me. Brooks, I, you know, I felt rejected. And I know I responded in, or reacted in the wrong way. And, and you have to clearly communicate how you feel. Now, women, let me just say this. He don't pick up on little sure unspoken clues. You Spell know. it out. Clearly communicate <laughs> to him. Tell him how you're feeling. Don't think he's going to pick up on it because he's not. Just tell him how you're feeling. Now, now, eventually, when you've been married a while, especially, you know, you get into the, you know, 13, 14, 15-year range, maybe he'll start to kind of, it'll start to click with him a little bit, and he'll realize, all right? But up until that point, you need to just be, spell it out. I was hurt when you yeah. said this. No, I don't like when you do that you know you know what I mean you know if he you know he just walks by and he just lets one go like hey I got you like that and she she's like you think it's funny no you say I don't like that see these are things we have to clearly communicate until you tell him he'll keep doing it yes he will right Yes. So clearly communicate your feelings, your emotions, your frustrations. What bothers you? Clearly communicate. Don't, again, don't do this in the heat of the moment or it's going to get ugly. And you'll start insulting one another. And that's not what you want to do. You don't want it to go from let's talk about what happened to talking about you. Hey, you know, you, you're... You, you know, you're so angry all the time. You're so dismissive, you know, and, and you start pointing the finger. Again, that little defense lawyer is there to help you and to remind you of all their faults. All the, and you know where that is. That's right out of the pit of hell because the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And if you are married to a woman who is a Christian or a man who is a Christian, the Bible says they are forgiven, that their sins are washed in the blood. And if that person has repented, now this is a big if, if that person has repented, they're seeking change, they're trying harder, they're, they're looking, you know, seeking the Lord through the Scripture, they, they, they're seeking accountability with other men, other women, and, and you're starting to see some things different, then you need to let those things go from the past. You need to let that stuff go. And don't bring it into the present because it's going to destroy your marriage. Now, if they keep going and, you know, falling over the same sin, they keep making yeah. the same mistake, and they keep, you know, saying the same things that are hurtful, you need to get some help. You need to get some help. And, and, and they need, to, and, and whoever's continuing to sin against it needs some accountability there. But you need to clearly communicate your feelings, your hurts, your pains, your frustrations. Another one is you need to acknowledge the other's pains and frustrations. Don't interrupt them when they're trying to talk. And don't minimize their feelings or their emotions. Because I think that's something that we, we do. Because here's what happens in the conversation. I start to clearly, or Brooke starts to clearly communicate her feelings, what, what's bothering her, what's on her heart, what's on her mind. And it can be very easy to be like, well, she'll get over it later. Yeah. I'm not acknowledging that. I'm not acknowledging there's something really wrong here. I'm just thinking, oh, she's just being emotional and she'll get over it later. Or 
if I do that, you say, he just needs to grow up. Is that, everybody get what I'm saying? So, so not only is there, hey, let's clearly communicate what's going on, but let's acknowledge this is real to her. She's really frustrated about this, whether it's something at work, whether it's something at church, whether it's something with, you know, the kids. She's really frustrated here. I need to acknowledge that. I don't need to dismiss it. I need to acknowledge it. So. Next, remember your own faults and failures. Galatians 6, 1 says this. Brother, when you see someone overcome with a fault, you who are spiritual, like me, like I was last night. That's <laughs> just kidding. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And it says this, considering yourself, lest you also fall prey to temptation. What does that mean? You need to be aware you have some weaknesses. You've got some cracks. You ain't perfect. You've got some faults and failures you need to be aware of, right? You need to be aware of that. And again, there's a difference between Satan using that to beat you over the head and the Holy Spirit using it to convict you so that you're humble when you approach other people. And we need to be humble. And we need, and that's one of the things, when we remember our own faults, our own failures, where we failed, it, rather than lift me up and remind me how awesome I am and how awful my wife is, it reminds me I got to have some work done too. And it allows me to be much more gracious toward Brooks when she does hurt me. Or her to be much more gracious towards me when I do hurt her. Because I know I make mistakes, and I know I fail, and I know I've hurt her, and I know I've said some stupid things to her. And I need to be, I want her to forgive me for that. I want her to overlook those things. Don't y'all? When your spouse does, when you do something stupid, you want your spouse to overlook it, not judge you, and not hold it against you. The Bible says that a love does not keep a record of wrongs. And when I'm aware that I have some faults and failures, I'm aware that I failed, I'm aware I've messed up, what that does is it says, hey, I can be much more gracious when she makes mistakes. She can be much more gracious when I make some mistakes. Um, also talking with Kara, the last one is um, be engaged. And I mentioned this last week in Genesis 3-9 when um, Eve sinned and, um, you know, God came down and talked to um, Adam and was like, where are you? And I think it's very easy for us um, when we're talking to our spouse that we just want to check out and we have to be engaged um, in conversation, in, you know, your frustrations, your pains. And when we were going through this, it, you know, for me, and, and many of you know my story, I was um, sexually abused at a young, young age for a couple of years. And so when Sam and I got married, um, in the very beginning, well, I'll say for 10, 10 plus years, we've been married, I don't know, 18, 19, 18, I don't know, we've been married a long time. But I say for the first, I don't know, 10 years, I did not get help with this. Let me just say, you don't look like you've been married 18 years. I appreciate it. Because you've been so good to me. Um, but, but because of my past, hurts, pains, frustrations, it was very easy when we got in an argument for me to check out. And so I did not want to be engaged whatsoever with talking about feelings, him being hurt, because I looked at him, even though he was my husband, he was, he was the perfect fit for me, I looked at it as I can't even engage in this because of my past. And men hurt me, so therefore I'm putting him in that category. And, you know, once again, therefore I think he's my enemy. And God's like, no, I brought him. And because of Sam, I have walked in healing through therapy, through counseling, through the Word of God, through prayer. Therefore, when these things take place, and it's a lot of work, and it happens, I mean, often that I have to say to be engaged with Sam. And I tell this to God, I know I have to hear him. I cannot check out even though this is painful. And even even though I want to justify it because of my past, I know I have to be engaged in saying, even though this hurts, I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to talk to Sam about this. I'm going to hear him, and I'm going, by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be engaged with him. 
in these deep conversations. And I think that's hard. At, well, I know yeah. it is. It's very hard And I at think times. with me and the way we, we kind of do this is physically removing ourselves. Sometimes we walk away. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And I want you all to understand that when we're like, when, when, if a man walks away from a conversation, generally he's doing that out of respect because he knows it's about to get elevated and he doesn't want to yell at you. He don't want to disrespect you. But if he doesn't come back and re-engage, we have an issue because men love to just compartmentalize. And it's like, okay, I'll take this over here. I'll leave it there and just drop it. And, or we'll go do something else, play a video game, go play golf, go hunting, fishing, whatever, and we just let it go away. And we have the ability to do that a, a lot easier than some women do. And so one of the things we do is we just kind of remove ourselves physically. Men, I'm asking you, yes, you may for a short time remove yourself to cool down, to collect your thoughts, come back to it, but don't remove yourself and then never come back to this. Engage in the issue. If not, little things become big things. Resentment and bitterness build over time. And I I think Brooks mentioned it earlier. It's like, you know, you have this bitterness, like a big book sack on your back, and it's just heavier and heavier, and and you're holding it in the marriage, and then every little thing is a huge ordeal and blows up because you've not come back and engaged in the conversations that you have to engage in. And so I'm, I'm, I'm begging you. Don't check out emotionally. Don't check out physically and go somewhere else and thinking this will just blow over. Let's, let's remain And, and all of this when we're, you know, talk with care, I know it is time consuming. It may take months. It may take years to do this, but it's worth it. Yeah, man. Yeah. It is worth it because your marriage is supposed to bring glory to God. Um, yeah. All right. Okay, the last one I, I want to hit on about conflict is forgiveness. And the Bible often talks about sin as a debt being owed. And when we sin, I mean, you know, a debt has to be paid, and Jesus did that. And um, But we, and Sam mentioned this, but we have this thing that we forget that when we're fighting or when we're arguing or whenever there's conflict. But Jesus himself even talked about in Matthew 18, you know, you forgive 70 times 7, which is a lot, which is you always live in a place of forgiveness. And it's because your heart um, has changed and it doesn't keep a record of wrong. And we cannot bring those things up from the past. Yet, I think it was yesterday when we were listening um, to a um, husband and wife, they are pastors, they were preachers, and they said they were counseling with somebody. And um, the wife cheated on the husband right after they got married. Later on, 10 plus years later, um, they had worked through it and he had the opportunity to cheat. It was like this woman that he had always, he had been loved in love with years ago, high school or whatever. Well, he finally did it. And then all of a sudden, he brings up the record of wrong, the things that took back in, the, in, in you know, with his wife when they first got married, and is like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm justifying because this is what my wife did to me years ago, so I'm going to go sleep with this woman. I'm going to engage in this because of what my wife did. So he never forgave her. And we cannot be a people that are constantly bringing up our list of all these things that's done wrong because obviously it shows that you did not walk in forgiveness. Yep. And you have to know what Christ did for you. And if you realize that you were forgiven, then you will forgive. You have to understand that. Um, you know, there's in Ephesians 4.13 that it talks about, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. He forgave you, so you must forgive your spouse. It's just like Sam was saying. It's like a book sack. The more you keep putting more and more heaviness, the forgiveness, unforgiveness in your book sack, it's going to weigh you down. It's going to weigh your marriage down. Your kids are going to see it because you have unforgiveness that has not been dealt with. And unforgiveness is bitterness with roots. Same thing with a tree. Roots grow deep. And if you do not have forgiveness, them roots, it, your, look, it goes so deep with when the storm comes, when all these things pop up, all of a sudden you're not going to be moved. And the reason why is because that forgiveness, you never forgave. So you just refuse. You stand on that pride like a tree. And, yeah. you, and you're not. But look, The shovel to get the roots up is forgiveness. 
And we need to use that shovel of forgiveness to tend to our marriage, to get those roots of bitterness up, the unforgiveness, to dig it up deep. We have to do that. Um, another one is Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. We have to know that forgiveness is the big thing in all of this. We have to live a life of forgiveness with our spouse. I like that Colossians passage. It says, make allowances. Mm-hmm. He, she is not God. They will disappoint you. Just chalk it up. They're going to say something stupid, do something out of the way. They're going to mess up. Chalk it up. They're human. Only God is God. He's the only one that would not disappoint. He's the only one that would not let you down. You put him in his rightful place, but what happens too often is we put our spouse there, and then when they disappoint, when they mess up, our God has messed up. They are not God. God is God. Put him in his rightful place. Make allowances for your spouse to be able to make some mistakes. Let them make some mistakes and be able to let it go. And then he says in that Colossians, remember Christ forgave you. We're all ready to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers. But I really believe this, and Brooks made mention of this, I really believe your willingness to forgive shows how much you understand how much you've been forgiven. If you're unwilling to forgive, if you're unwilling to let something go, it shows to me, just maybe, just maybe, you've not really received the forgiveness that God has offered. You're pretending to be a Christian, but the reality is your heart is filled with pride. You don't think you're that bad. You don't really need Christ. You never really needed forgiveness. You just needed somebody to kind of clean you up a little bit. When you realize how awful your sin is against a holy God, and that you deserve hell, but yet in Christ you have been forgiven and restored to right relationship, you will be much more gracious to your spouse. Don't ever forget that. Anything else? You will. Let's stand this morning. If you happen to be standing with your spouse, that would be great. You just grab their hand. If you're not, just... um, Imagine if you're not married yet, just imagine your spouse, future spouse is standing there with you. And we'd be praying with them. And we're just going to pray this morning. Conflict is inevitable. You're, you're, you, I heard one preacher say this. He said, uh, you're going to fight with somebody the rest of your life. Who do you want it to be, right? And I can't think of anybody better I'd like to fight with than Brooks. Yeah. So. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for the institution of marriage. Lord, I thank you when you looked at man, you said, it ain't good that he's alone. You made a woman for him. Man, they're so much more beautiful than we are. God, they, they, they help us in our weaknesses. God, it's my hope that us men can help our wives and theirs. God, I thank you that we complement one another. I thank you, Lord, that, that there are people in this congregation that at one time at least they felt, I have found the one. Maybe they don't feel that as strongly right now. Maybe some feel it stronger now more than ever. I pray, God, that daily they could remind themselves that this is the one that God has given me. Whether we feel like it or not right now. I pray for those who may not have found that one that you have given them yet. God, I pray that they could seek the Lord, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And as they do that, I pray the doors will be open. I pray that 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 right person, that right individual, dear God, would come on the scene, God, that they would, Lord, find, dear God, the, the one you have sent to them. And God, we pray for them right now. We pray for them, God, that, that they would be godly, loving and respectful, that they would have the same goals and 
and ambition spiritually that we have. And Lord, we pray, Lord, for every, every couple, every uh, maybe married or not married this morning that's here, that Christ would be the center of this marriage. That He, Father, would reign and rule over how that home operates. And we know, dear God, that conflict is inevitable. And God, I pray that we would remember, even in the darkest and most frustrating times, that our spouse is not our enemy. God, that we would know, Lord, that we do have a common enemy, and it's Satan, and he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide our marriages. He wants to pit us against one another. And I pray, God, that we would not allow that to happen. I ask, God, that when pride rears its ugly head, Lord, that you would help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to recognize it, to put it to death, not give it a place, not give it a voice, but let us humble ourselves, submit ourselves one to the other, just as the Scripture commands. I ask, God, that you would help us to be able right now to respond to our partner's needs their desires. Don't just react emotionally trying to defend ourselves, trying to get our point across, trying to be louder or have the last word, but let us respond to their needs, to see ourselves as their servant. And I ask God that not only would we be able to respond rather than react, God, but, but we would be able to take all of our frustrations, all of our pains, all of our hurts to the Lord. For he says, cast your burden on me, for I care for you. And in doing so, we would not just find our spouse changed. He's the only one that can change their heart, but we would find ourselves changed. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would be able to talk. We would be able to talk with one another in a way where we show concern for each other, respect for one another, where we hear each other out. God, I just ask for that, Lord, in our marriages. Finally, God, I pray that we could model that most essential of Christian virtues, and that is forgiveness. Remind us how much we've been forgiven as individuals. Make us that much more gracious towards the, that one that we love. Lord, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.